0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: Are you there, aliens? It's me, human. Yes, this week on Download This Show, there's something apparently we've been doing on this planet for the last few decades that will make it easier for potential alien life to find us. Apparently. More on that coming up. Also on the show, there are two big AIs that you can talk and type with at the moment that have taken the world by storm. We're talking about ChatGPT, and Google's Bard, but which one is better let's test them and the great chip shortage of 2023 the reason why lots of new technology products have been delayed well it may be coming to an end all of that and much more coming up this is your guide to the week in media technology and culture my name is Mark Fennell and welcome to download this show Yes, indeed. It is a brand new episode of Download This Show. Our guest this week, uh, Jessica Sire, technology reporter from the AFR, which is the Australian Financial Review. I just realised probably needs explaining. Welcome back to the show. Thank you
0: very much for having me, Mark.
1: The pleasure isn't entirely mine. And editor of Gizmodo Australia, Asha Barbershaw. Welcome back to Download This Show. Hi,
2: thanks for having me.
1: All right, first up this week, so Google had their big I.O. event this week. Actually, Ash, I might get you to explain what is this event and why does it matter so much to Google?
2: Basically, it's where Google shows off everything that developers can look forward to using from their uh, Google ecosystem. So it's it's known as the developer event. Usually we normally see things like advancements in the latest or the newest Android that's coming out, but this year it was just AI, AI, AI for two and a half hours (laughs) starting at 3 a.m. Australia time my eyes were popping out of my head.
1: Out of the AI stuff that came out, Jess, was there anything that stood out to you as being particularly interesting? Because we, we are kind of witnessing something of a of a bit of a race at the moment between who can come up with the most effective sort of language model AI.
0: Yeah, that was my favourite thing out of this whole Google event was the release of their BARD software, which is sort of like a competitor to Chat GPT. So many people who aren't just tech people have been all of a sudden playing around with this AI language model. And Google have brought out BARD, which kind of functions in the same way that Chat GPT does. You type in a little text box you ask it queries you request it to do things and it spits out answers so like my newsroom's been playing around with it for the last few days and trying to match it against chat gpt to sort of see what kind of answers it throws back to us what we can get it to do
1: all right i'm just going to cut to the chase here bard versus chat gpt asha What's better?
0: In
2: preparation of this, I asked Bard and I asked ChatGPT the same question. And that question was, write me a poem for Mark Fennell, host of the <laughs> show. Uh, so would like to see, would you like to see who said what?
1: Oh my God, more than you can possibly imagine. That's just how much my narcissism knows no bounds.
2: <laughs> so we'll start with Bard. <clears throat> with wit as sharp as a knife and a voice that can cut through the night, you tell us stories we need to make sense of this crazy world we live in. You're a journalist with a conscience. No, I'm not. A man of integrity and class. You're a credit to your profession and an inspiration to all of us.
1: So which one was that? That was Bard. Okay, well, flattery will get you only so far. Let's see how ChatGPT went with it. (laughs) So,
2: so, Mark, a voice so clear. In journalism, he has no peer. He tells stories with such grace, leaves us with a lasting trace. With wit and charm, he takes the lead. In interviews, he plants the seed. Of truth and honesty so rare. With Mark Fennell, we're in good care. Oh,
1: I love this it. This is some next level nonsense that I, it turns out that my megalomania does have its limits. All right. Mark, just for the listeners, Mark is bright red right <laughs> <Yeah>. now. <laughs> you didn't think I could go any red of it. Here we are. All right. So I'm going to, like, I feel like I'm ill-equipped to make a judgment there. I think
0: the ChatGPT one was better from a rhyming schematic point well, of g- view. ChatGPT,
2: I mean, they're, they're both quite accurate. Um, mm. Content-wise, <laughs> they're definitely on Beautiful.
0: Um, but Can I get a
1: fact check on that one?
2: <laughs> <laughs> the most important thing to remember with Bard is that Google's Google's whole thing is to organize the world's information. So it has the world's information and it's had its Google Assistant around for a number of years as well, doing an increasing number of AI things in the background of Docs, Calendar, Gmail, et cetera. So it's been working on this for so long and not to say ChatGPT hasn't, but Google has the fact that it is Google. Mm. Microsoft is merely an investor in I think there's something to be said there as well about how how much history and experience Google has in this space to to make it potentially more accurate moving forward. I think
1: ChatGPT feels more like talking to a person. Bard feels like you're talking to a corporation. They're so much more upfront with their caveats. Sure. Like everything on the screen, like even at the bottom of the screen is <laughs> the information you're presented with may be wrong. Also, might be offensive, which I feel like was m- that's that feels like Google corporate speak. And I also feel like the expectations maybe, just with what people expect from Google are... Because we've talked about it a lot, actually, the fact that when you, you, you ask questions of chat it frequently comes back with things that are wrong. And then any attempt to understand where it got that answer it kind of feels like you're talking to a black box. Whereas with Google, I think there's an expectation that if you ask you a question because it's, you know, Google, mm. it might get things right. Is that just the, I guess, the corporate responsibility of a, of a company known for knowledge coming through there?
0: I think so. I think you're bang on. I think the... Differences between those two as well. I mean, ChatGPT has been taught off information that's available on the web before 2021, right? So it's got limits, whereas BARD is being trained off what's called an InfiniSet, which is real-time information. And as we've talked about, all of the amazing data inputs that come from Google are feeding this AI. I mean, I personally liked interacting with BARD more because it spat out answers that were in listical form or they were in like a recipe like step one step two step oh, three that's interesting and that just helped me actually sort through information whereas chat gpt which i think is way better and more creative at, at ideation it comes up with great headlines i've been playing around with that for work or or trying to organize information in a in a conversational or, or script kind of way um chat gpt is way more conversational whereas the information that I wanted came in in a format that I could digest and use quicker. I think what also is different and I've been playing around with the different capabilities ChatGPT can write code quicker That's and it. faster. And it's yeah. really cool to have these little scripts that you can run in the background if you need to do calculations. I mean, I spend a lot of time doing financial reporting, so pulling out data and can I get this thing to crawl through some company reports and things like that. Bard isn't really able to do that stuff yet. So there's some of the differences that I've noticed between the two bots.
2: Usually you would think a company like Google would have to wait until something is perfect to release it out into the wild given their position. You know, you don't like to think that Google waited until it was perfect to be sent out, but something like AI would never be perfect. Do you Well, think they're being they, rushed to the market as right, well. Right, they've been yeah. rushed. And do you think that that's, I can't help but think that that's going to hinder them a little bit in being the leader of this space. I think
0: with AI you want, I mean, I'm not Google, but once mm-hmm. you've got it in the market, it's learning as people use right. it and so... The more people use it, the better for a product like this. I mean, sure, they've definitely been rushed to the market. Microsoft put a huge bet behind open AI. You've got these big tech giants competing for the AI mind share. But yeah, the more people are using this software, the the better they'll actually become.
1: I guess it also speaks to the question of like what is perfect when it comes to generative AI. Like what it, where is the bar of of acceptable for public consumption for something that can only get better with what it can consume of public information? I guess uh, one thing I am curious about for you, Ash, is if you act, what are the sorts of things you would go to chat for versus bar? Like if you would make, because now we have options, right? When Jess said the thing about code, you were like, yes. Are there things that you would go, yeah, this is much more of a bar problem to solve or a chat problem to solve?
2: I think anything that you want a more conversational uh, response would be chat GPT definitely and we gave it the crown of the best poet for me personally I've not actually used it for work I am yet to find and I'm not just saying this so journalism jobs aren't replaced with AI and I, I've been looking because I wanted to do an experiment with this and I'm yet to find something where using one of these bots would be better than what myself or the team could come up
0: with yeah
2: and that's just potentially just the the sector that I'm in and the in the, the content that we write as well. Uh, but I feel that if you're wanting something that has step-by-step instructions, such as, I don't know, if you need to replace, what needs replacing? A battery in a laptop, I guess. If you don't know how to do it and you want step-by-step instructions on how to do that, something you would previously YouTube, I guess that would be where Bard would succeed the most because it's got that access to step-by-step instruction.
1: I often use it to deal with writer's block. I use it in the same way I would never copy and paste anything from it, but I'm like, come up with a better thing for this. And then usually the thing it spits out is not very good. But it's enough, it's enough new stimulus for me to go, oh, that's not what I want to say. Actually what I want to say is this It's an additional bit of stimulus. You know when sometimes you're staring at a big block of text and your brain's like, I am dead inside. Mm. I think it does get dangerous when it starts to become well, dangerous might be is a bit in the eye of the beholder. But it's like I think it does get complicated when it becomes a full-on replacement. And I feel like I, I haven't encountered a situation yet where I feel like I could be replaced by it, but that seems like the sort of thing you say immediately before your job.
0: I've definitely spent a lot of time talking with software engineers and engineers more broadly about how they're using it, and a lot of these guys can't write. So this getting ChatGPT to write emails or briefs for clients helps someone who is not only got writer's block but is terrified of the blank page in many different ways and really struggles to actually use words and things. I think this is a godsend for those kinds of folks.
2: I think that also is has something to be said for the misinformation point. We uh, by definition of our job look for misinformation. We look for the truth, so we're able to find those errors that might be small or you know throughout a text and we kind of need to take a step back and realize that not, not someone who's in a rush writing something for a report or
0: yeah i mean it's a huge risk and just in you know in defensive journalism before we move on <laughs> i was definitely the, i was at the footy on the weekend and some bloke who'd had an absolute skin skinful was like oh jess you know how's it feel you'll be out of a job in a couple of years with chat gpt and i
1: wait was that his opening gambit because that is super yeah, we haven't seen each
0: other in a while and oh, um what a charmer yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's nice um, <laughs> But I, but the, the thing that like struck me, I was like, dude, the whole point of like news media is to tell people stuff that they don't know that has never been necessarily conveyed before. So if you've got these bots trained on models of all this like previous information, by definition, the good journos will still be around because we'll be making stuff that doesn't already exist on the internet. And I think that's kind of like a, a key point.
1: Definitely. Download the show is what you're listening to. It is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. And... Are we living just through a shortage of chips?
0: Yes, we are. I love this story because it is such a macroeconomic story (laughs) that affects everybody's mobile phones, cars, all kinds of things. We've been in a chip shortage basically since the start of COVID. So when we all went into lockdown, when businesses had to close, when we couldn't make anything because we couldn't be closer than one and a half metres from each other, chips, which are mostly made in Taiwan, they stopped getting made. But at the same time, we were all in our homes, we were all plugged into the internet, we were using devices at a rate that we'd never even anticipated the amount of demand for Internet of Things devices and and technology went through the roof. So you had not enough chips getting made because literally weren't allowed to. And the more demand for these products than ever before and it just created this massive shortage. And when we think about the semiconductor industry, we've got raw materials that go into chips. That was, mines were shut down we've got the manufacturing and fabrication facilities that were making them they weren't allowed to work we had the logistics crisis you couldn't you couldn't actually ship them from taiwan or the us or wherever they were getting made to the to the actual manufacturer of the products and then you couldn't deliver those things to people's homes so it was like the whole supply chain got this massive backlog and i think the weight at its worst, was more than one hundred weeks. Like to get mm. to get these things delivered, whereas now the wait has come back and the demand has come off for a lot of these products. I mean, it's you know the cost cost of living crisis is very real. People aren't just buying things with their disposable income anymore. But this, yeah, this big chip shortage has been humming away in the background and is is going to affect the delivery of products for quite some time.
2: So as someone who is two months into their three to six month right. potentially longer wait for a brand new car, uh, this is something that I've been thinking about lately uh, again. And, you know, the, the dealerships aren't even told when cars are getting on on ships to come over to Australia. I'm sure that at, the, at that end as well, they're not even sure when they're going to be completed. Is there still backlog or are we at the stage now <laughs> where we're producing i'm just like turning to jess i mean like we've seen we've seen the likes of the ps5 which was impossible to get a hold of for a very long time and then before christmas last year i think it was that everyone had stock and mm. even scalpers weren't able to, to sell their stock oh, scalpers. i know but wouldn't anyone Did think them. of the scalpers so it does seem as though we're clearing the backlog and we're starting to get back to somewhat business as usual with factories open Mm. and more
0: factories are getting developed so i think during covid the whole world and we've been globalizing for the last decade right we've we buy things from china they ship them all over the place COVID just showed how reliant we were on these centralised industries. We were reliant on Taiwan to keep spitting out these chips and the US basically was like, oh, we can't have this. We're one of the great, like the largest consumer of electronic goods in the world. We absolutely need to start making chips on shore and we'll subsidise it from a government point of view. So they rammed through some legislation. They've been rushing to open their own chip manufacturing plants. So at some point we'll have a wave of new wafers. And the thing is with semiconductors, there's a whole different, there's... There's simple ones that go in dumb devices. There's ones that go in smart devices. There's ones that power cars and can think and do all different kinds of things. And the US wants to become a manufacturer of those onshore. So at some point, we will start to see more of these chips flood into the market, but until that happens we're trying to get through this backlog that you're talking about before. I have a question, because the
1: way you framed it before felt very much like this was a logistics issue that came, that sort of emerged during the pandemic. Uh, Is there also a resourcing issue from that, like in terms of the raw materials for, for, uh, for actually getting chips, or is that a separate issue entirely?
0: For sure. So we've also. This is why it's such a great macroeconomic story. Inflation you has are gone so through the roof. So excited right now. I'm, I'm,
1: I'm <laughs> frothing I'm,
0: on this. Yeah.
1: Macroeconomics is what does it for Jess. Now we well, understand. Well, I
0: mean, so the the cost of living. I mean, all of the listeners will have been experiencing this. The cost of living has just gone up. The cost of stuff has increased. And think of all of the different components in that supply chain that I took before. The cost of the raw materials, the cost of labor has gone up, like actually making these things has become more expensive. And the price that you can get for them, that you're trying to keep that down because you want everybody to be able to afford these things. So there's this huge economic tussle and the raw materials, the the cost of extracting them out of the ground, finding them, I mean, finding them in places where you can uh, extract them without contravening human rights abuses and things is very much front of mind for a lot of these major companies like Apple, like Google, like Microsoft who build devices. And there's a lot
1: more attention being paid now, I, 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 like particularly in the weight of what was happening at places like Foxconn, one of their big manufacturers, you know, kind of 10, 15 years ago. It's harder for them to just kind of out of sight, out of mind at that now. Absolutely.
0: And the consumer is so much more discerning than they ever have been. And the, the, because you couldn't get your PS5, people are online be like, why the hell can't I get my PS5? And they're learning about like, oh, mm-hmm. well, actually, it's because of this whole supply chain backup, we can't get chips. Wait, who makes the chips? Where do you get the stuff from? Oh, you get it out of the, you know, De- Democratic Republic of the Congo. Do they pay people more than a dollar a day there? Maybe they don't, you know, like so the actual demand side critique of how we build this stuff has changed and that can only really be a good thing, I think.
1: Asha, with your uh, car that you're waiting on, how explicit are they with saying, look, this is because of supply demands?
2: Oh, they are not. They are car salesmen. So they are <laughs> sugar. They're basically the same as any American customer service, right? They don't actually tell you what the issue is, just say that it's it's going to be so- sorted and going to be solved. Your and,
1: car's important to us. Right? So says your money. It's,
2: But I don't even think they know themselves. I, I, I genuinely don't think they know when these cars are arriving in Australia, uh, which m- makes it a little bit tricky because I'm getting rid of my existing car tomorrow. Yeah. I just told Jess about it. catching <laughs> the bus.
1: Do you know what they need? They need a really excitable dress size.
0: Yeah, that's <laughs> they right. do, you guys.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right, download this show. is what you're listening to. It is your guide to the week in media technology. And thank God. Also the show for aliens. Asha Babashow, are we now easier for the aliens to find?
2: I love this story. <laughs> this is this is, this is like
1: the one that you're going to get excited
2: about. Yeah, yeah. So one of my colleagues in the US wrote about this and when it came through, I I was, I could not click hard enough. Uh, so yeah, basically scientists are asking the big questions over at the University of Mauritius. They investigated whether any local extraterrestrials could hear the communication going on between our mobile phones.
1: Right. So the idea is that we now, you know, communicating digitally so much, we're producing so much, for lack of a better term, noise, that if there was passing, you know, extraterrestrials, we're now more visible. Is it, did I? Can I sum that up okay?
2: Yeah, but turns out no. Because mobile communications don't currently produce a strong enough signal to be kind of spotted by aliens within 10 light years, I think it is. Yeah, but unless they had extremely advanced instruments and um, maybe they weren't hit by the uh, chip shortage. So maybe they do.
1: <laughs> well, the chip shortage over on Vulcan has been been much, much less impactful, you know. You yeah. First contact. I think still they were coming. running
0: off a different kind of energy. <laughs> then.
1: First contact still coming, you guys. Just, just get, let it happen. Disappointed, not disappointed, Jess
0: disappointed. I thought it would be dope. If the idea that that aliens would be cruising by and could hear us, it feels like a very important actually like a very relevant cool piece of research. Like we should absolutely be looking into how much noise we as a planet are creating uh, through all of these devices. Mm. And I think it's really easy for anyone to understand or or at least ask their own question. I know that there's signals flying around everywhere. You know, my doorbell is now talking to my fridge and like all this kind of stuff. Can can anybody else hear that outside of the earth? And I think I've been writing a little bit or a little bit last year about Starlink, which was Elon Musk's hooking all of these satellites out in in how much yeah, yeah. S- sending up thousands of satellites which could provide internet to to regions. Mm. And I know in Australia so many people who live out in the bush or live out in the country have been um, signing up for Starlink if we've got all of those floating around, surely there's like noise that other people can pick up on. And I was, yeah, I was well, disappointed. It, to astronomers
1: it. hate it because it, it ruins the night sky for for astronomy. So there's like, there's always, you know, there's always two sides to that coin.
2: Absolutely, yeah. It's interesting you say that because the researchers that wrote this, that that, that looked into these uh, extraterrestrial kind of communication interrupters or eavesdroppers, they, they've said not currently but maybe into the future. Mm. So 5G is obviously a far superior, stronger uh, signal than, than 3G, 4G. As more and more devices get on board with 5G, that's only going to send more stronger signals out to the towers. Then you've also got the Starlink satellites that are just pinging left, right and centre and blocking astronomers. Um, but th- that that doesn't mean that there isn't the potential for those signals to be picked up and and then listened into. But at the
0: moment, no.
1: I just like the idea that aliens floating around space looking at us going, God, they're like the noisy neighbours of the space. Totally. Like, I don't want to deal what, with them.
0: That's what I first <laughs> thought when I read this too. All
1: right. Finally here on Download This Show, Twitter has launched encrypted private messages, which I, this is going to sound terrible, but Jess, I kind of assume they were already, which says a lot about me, I guess, doesn't it? What exactly have they unveiled?
0: Basically, if you send Twitter DMs, they're now encrypted, or they're sort of encrypted. As long as you're verified, so as long as you pay money. Ah, I knew there was a catch. Yeah, there's
2: always a catch. It's Elon Musk.
0: Yeah, I mean, to be honest, like, Twitter just it's it's a basket case. I don't I mm. don't fully understand the strategy of this business. I don't really know what they're trying to build here. Uh, the idea that uh, messages weren't encrypted before, okay, I suppose I could understand that. Surely, there's a level of encryption in order to protect the... Because there'd be thousands, millions of messages getting flinged around, flung around. Uh, well, M-
2: Meta only... It, it had been trialling its encrypted messages on Messenger for a while, but it was only this year that everybody...
1: Hold on. So when we say Meta, we're talking specifically about their Facebook products, Facebook, right? right? Because Meta also own what's happened. Yeah. That's
2: been end-to-end encrypted for a while, but Messenger, it was trialling and it's only the start of this year that it's been fully encrypted. But there's also another caveat with the Twitter one. Images aren't encrypted, even if you pay. Why? And it's only if you talk to another verified person. It doesn't happen if it's in group chats. They're basically they're just doing a little, teeny, tiny bit of encryption.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't understand like the strategy here. I mean, I, you've got to have products that are encrypted. Communications are really valuable. All this data is important to protect. And I think we're moving towards a world where the consumer really does expect a basic level of encryption across communications channel across your platform. So. Hooray!
1: A light sprinkling of encryption in the right circumstances. If you tilt, you know, your head slightly towards the sun at the right time of day, therein encryption shall lie.
0: Mm. Exactly. I think that that was a better st- poem than <laughs> <It was> actually.
1: <laughs> you know, I tried. Who's to say I didn't, uh, you know, feed it in before? Sorry, Ash, you're about to no, say something. No, no,
2: no, no. All I was, all I was about to say is uh, there are m- multiple other encrypted platforms you can use. The ones that aren't. Complete. I mean, you only have to open Twitter now and the only posts you see are from Elon Musk. And yeah. it's, it's no longer the same app that it was. It's definitely not a super app.
1: Well, that was always the plan, right? I mean, that, that was, well, plan is probably a bit of generous. I mean, the thing he used to talk about is his comparison to, I guess, what WeChat is in China, which is this app that does everything for everybody. You can pay on it, you can order on it. And I think he was talking, you know, he talks a lot, but he was talking about this idea that Twitter had the potential to be that.
0: And that, like, that would be very cool if he could build it, wouldn't sure. it? Yep.
1: I mean, is there at least an argument that this um, low-key form of encryption is a step in that direction? I don't want to be, I don't want to overstep and, and you know, give him too much credit for you, but is, is that is would that be an inter- generous interpretation of this
0: event?
2: Look, you can call it a step forward as long as we acknowledge he's taken 80-plus steps back already.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's so nuts to, like, get onto your feed and the top, 10 posts from people you don't follow. It just drives me insane, particularly given I've been using that platform my entire working life mm-hmm. and for it to change so sharply and dramatically. And, and the the fee structure being so blatant, it just, yeah. It's
1: a, the fee structure thing is like the only thing I kind of understand. Like I kind of understand like you pay for a thing you better, better service. Like that doesn't, like part of sure. me is just like whatever. I don't, that's just economics. But the thing that I find confusing about it is that, um, if your goal is to keep me on platform and, and offer me enough value that I keep paying, don't put fourteen thought leaders on, Bit- on Bitcoin in my feed that I haven't asked for. Don't put three people who are coming up with creative um, prompts for ChatGPT and Bard like that. I, that stuff is fine, and I'm happy for it to exist. It's not what I want pushed into my. It feels like you know we used to criticize Facebook for you know or, or Instagram for getting to know us so well that they would you know inject ads into the into your timeline and the thing i the twitter has really taught me is like at least meta were good at it like broadly speaking the stuff that they injected into my feed i was like oh yeah i will click on that because it is interesting to me the biggest failing of twitter as far as i can tell is they're bad at it
2: no one and no thing has ever known me better than tiktok Amen.
1: And- oh my God, the, the nods that came from the yeah. producers booth.
0: <laughs> yeah, me and my TikTok, we have a thing. Ex- we have an exactly, understanding. Exactly.
2: Exactly. And I, I do get kind of a little bit mm, when some when I'm sitting next to someone and they're watching a TikTok with me and I'm scrolling and it's like, what's going to be next? Yeah. Am I going to be exposed? My own TikTok doxing me? But <laughs> I mean, there's something to be said in what you you're going to, you're giving away your data. There has to be a return on investment for yeah. that data. And I actually wrote right about this conundrum after doing a DNA test last weekend, that my hesitation was that I didn't want this, didn't want Ancestry or companies like it to have my data. Uh, and then I realised that the return on investment there was so much higher in my sure. favour, It for, for me personally, for my personal, what I wanted to gain from it. And I think that the TikTok conversation, the TikTok conversation, something that can't be forgotten within that conversation is that people know that they're handing over their data, but they're getting something that's that's so personally for them Uh, and just with with Twitter, what are we handing over and what are we getting back? There seems to be quite a bit of a disparate Sliding scale there. So the minute. lesson
1: to be taken away is, is the one to be taken away from 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 Instagram and TikTok, which means I'm I need more pimple popper videos and uh, dentist uh, close up videos, which is apparently all that TikTok is serving me at the moment. I don't That's know why. That's very
0: revealing, much.
1: Yeah, we so, won't
0: judge. <laughs> no, just, <laughs> safe space. It's like
1: a Rorschach test, isn't it? Yeah. You know, what what the the TikTok algorithm feeds you, it's like why do you know that I want to see this when I don't even know that I want to see this?
2: Yeah. I mean... Technology, it's brilliant. Mm.
1: Unless it's Twitter, in which case it's not.
0: And with that, <laughs> we
1: are out of time. Uh, huge thank you to our guests this week, Jessica Sire from the AFR. Thank you so much.
0: No worries. Thanks for having
1: me. You can read Jessica's work in the Australian Financial Review. And Asha Barbershow, the editor of Gizmodo Australia, thank you so much for coming back on the show. I uh,
2: Before I say thank you for that, just want to congratulate you and the rest of the team <laughs> um, in an audience of your peers. So just for anyone that, that doesn't know... Uh, Every year there's IT Journalism Awards and Mark and Download this show came up trumps. It was it was the best title, walked away with with the gold, Logi yeah, of the the gold in, Logie of, of the, <laughs> the tech journalism yeah. industry. So congratulations as a Hell testament yeah, well to done. all the fantastic work that you and the team do. So. It's
1: very kind of you. I will, I guess I'll just say what I said on the night, which is that the show's only good because of, you guys like I just come in here and go what is about this what happened and I really feel like the only thing that makes this show good is all of the wonderful people from the Australian tech industry who come on and go no Mark it's bad because of the following reasons and then we always end up in a dystopian conversation about what well, used to be uh, um, Mark Zuckerberg but now it's Elon Musk so you know that's progress um, but yeah no for everybody that's been on the show over the I think we've been doing it for 10 years now uh, it really is You guys make it wonderful. So thank you so much to you. And I guess above all things, thank you to people that listen to the show because uh, without that...
0: Go technology. Yeah,
2: everyone loves listening to Mark's tones (laughs) coming through. Uh, I can't wait until (laughs) ChatGPT has an audio function.
1: (laughs) Especially ChatGPT and its poetry. Uh, All right. With that, I shall leave you. Big thank you to our guests. Big thank you to listeners. Big thank you to the IT Journal Awards. And I will catch you next week for another episode of Download This Show.